to the Central Peninsula Church Podcast, a podcast all about real life together. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to CPC Together. This is Brandon again, and we're here with Kevin Sneed, the teaching pastor extraordinaire at CPC. <laughs> um, we're going to start a little bit different today because your sermon yesterday, um, according to me, is all about really knowing, being known. Yeah, right? like what it means yeah. to be known. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so I thought it would be fun to start off just kind of going back and forth real quick and see. I think I think the people want to know how well do you and I really know each other? You know, they have this idea. We look alike. You know, we hang out together. I like to think that we're the best of friends, but um, I think it's time to find out. I think it's time to find out. So I'll start. I'll start. Sorry, I laughed at that. I don't feel like <laughs> you expressing you want to be best friends, and I just laughed. You know, I don't even know how to tell you how common that is for me. Um. Okay. So, what is uh my favorite sport? What well, What was my favorite sport in junior high? In junior high? Yeah. Um. Piano. <laughs> you don't even... No, I would guess. Uh, hold on, let me guess. I, baseball, basketball. Dang. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. That <laughs> I didn't know that. If you saw my shot, you'd know. <laughs> you'd be like, "That's." Smooth. Were you any good in middle school? I was good at shooting. Yeah, but you know, and I was good at ball handling and stuff. I was pretty fast, but you know what my problem is when I get in a game, I can't process like where I need to go. So I'm just always in the way. Yeah. I'm that guy. <laughs> just, like if I, I just, just imagine you saying sorry a lot. Like, yeah. Oh, 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 sorry, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, coach. Sorry. Someone elbows me in the face. Oh, so I'm, I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. Like, okay. Ask me one. Okay. Um, let's see. What is, and I don't even know if I know the answer to this. I'm more interested in just what you'll project <laughs> onto me. What is my most prized possession? Wow. Um, you like things that like have good like design. Although you're a history guy, you're romantic. I think it's probably some like um, Mickey Mantle baseball. Oh, that's a good guess. That's wrong. I don't have <laughs> any of those. But I, I see like some sort of like memorabilia. Do you have like a Daryl Strawberry baseball card? He's a guy, right? <laughs> Daryl Strawberry. That's like mid '90s reference. That's when I collected baseball cards. <laughs> I did collect baseball cards with me and my brother, and my so my brother's three years or sorry four years older than me. Shout out to Vic Sneed, who's not listening, uh, <laughs> but he used to make trades with me. But he would take advantage of me being young and naive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so my dad instituted a policy where any baseball card trade he had to approve and sign off on. <laughs> he had to authorize. So he would like submit. We'd submit forms to him for that. What but a good dad! Because it's a good dad. I feel like yeah, I. I got because I knew I had no idea what I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, we got what was the magazine Beckett or something? Oh yeah, you Beckett. Could, yeah, you, you could actually the, look up the value of your card. Yeah. You're like, this card's worth thirty seven cents. That's a oh, throwback. My gosh, <laughs> that's a throwback. No, probably, probably my my um, my most prized possession. I, this is just off the top of my head. I really don't know if it is, but we Lindsay and I because we're pretty nerdy. We have a collection of first edition books at our house. Oh, a small collection, like the Velveteen Rabbit. <laughs> 
big, big first edition Velveteen Rabbit fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Hardy Boys. Yeah. yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> so anyway, it would probably be something in that collection would be one of them. All right. Well, I was going to do more questions, but I feel like this would be super boring for people. So uh, we can just continue. So we really know each other well. That's what we've heard. Yeah, two questions. Yeah. We're over two. <laughs> Nailed it. Anyway, there's a, a false promise that being our own God is going to be uh, bring us the satisfaction we're looking for, and then it's going to handle any feelings of guilt that we had. And you mentioned this article that was written in 2017 um, mm-hmm. that says, despite all of our independence, despite all of us going our own direction, feeling like there is no real moral code that we have to live up to, even though it should result in a, what'd you say, Snoop Dogg-like kingdom where you're <laughs> just like... easygoing relativism. Yeah. Yeah, just like you do you, I do me. We'll the, be cool. Yeah, and yeah. it should be super chill, super easy. And he said, despite all of that, and this yeah. is back in 2017, I think it's arguably worse five years later, Yeah, guilt still persists. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the problems is that we don't have, if we're not looking at... at things through a Jesus lens, we don't have a framework for how to deal with that guilt, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the sense that guilt, right, is the indicator that something's wrong, and we feel that. Like, again, I, I find that that's actually not an argument you have to really um, go far on for people to get. Like, they recognize something off, but if there is no standard of right and wrong, right, if there is no objective objectivity to what's right or wrong, you don't know how why that sense of guilt is there. And that's, you know... This world that's built on the idea of being your own god, um, you become the arbiter of right and wrong. And if it's all built on what you think, there is no no thing that's wrong, right? Just do what you feel, and that sort of emotivism of like living from a space of emotion. And if I feel something, it must be right. Um, that doesn't. It lacks the ability to say this is right, this is wrong. And if you can't name a wrong, you can't actually do anything with it, right? And and so the guilt persists. And, and so what this author was getting at is this very problem you know, for all of our freedom, for all of our liberation from constraints, you know, with all of that going on, we assumed that would be the way to deal with the guilt. Um, but all it did was actually make it worse because now we don't have a framework to actually name something as wrong and then deal with it and actually mm. then do something with it. Um, and that's where obviously, you know, as, as followers of Jesus, that's where that, that standard um, become so helpful is we have a holy God who will will help us navigate right and wrong and then create a framework to absorb the sin right which again is is obviously the story of the cross um, where something can be done about about sin um, you I'm gonna give a Kevin Sneed quote this is the tweetable moment for all of you Twitter <laughs> users um, you said that it, it turns out that being your own God really isn't as life-giving as we hoped. Yeah, I think what yeah I think and what, what's happening I think when we look culturally and we watch so much of our even our cultural dialogue break down is we're seeing the essentially the the myth that you can be your own god the secular kind of promise um, that that is it's beginning to crumble and we're seeing it for the parody that it is and and in a lot of ways I mean it, it's it's really it's getting um, almost getting back to again our idea and we've talked about this before. Um, I don't think it was in this series, maybe this, the series in Galatians, where we were talking about freedom and how historically freedom had always been the ability to say no to your desires, where like we felt like there was this deep impulse for something and we were able to say no and tame them. 
that was kind of the historic understanding of, particularly the Christian understanding of freedom, hmm. is the ability to actually say like, I am not at the, um, not at the the leading of my emotions, but rather or my desires, I should say. But I can actually aim my desires at the proper ordering of things, and where we've kind of come to with this idea of being your own god is anything I feel, I mu- like freedom is saying I can do whatever I feel. And we've completely inverted that idea of freedom. Um, and again, it's built on that idea of where, where is the, the, the problem, if you will. And for the Christian, we build that on, say, no, our hearts are, are broken in a way. Our, the executive center of who we are is, is fractured. It's bent inward. And, and so we have to then be able to say, now there are times we need to actually reject the, that, that impulse for pleasure because it's in, it's misdirected. Um, but, but for those, you know, again, for, for kind of the, the, the ones who want to become their own God, they're at really the will of their own pleasure and desire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that becomes, that becomes problematic when the, the, you know, the pleasure, the desire that's swelling up in you is to, let's use your example before murder the guy who cut you off. Yeah. Right, like we all know that's not right, and that's like a silly. And example. we've all wanted to do it. Yeah, and we've all wanted to do it. You know. Yeah, I think uh, all you have to do is be a, I mean, be a parent to understand that. Yeah. That freedom, like, what what your kids want, is generally not going to be good for them. You know, yeah. like yeah. you have to give boundaries for them. Like, if they just wanted to have whatever, like for your kids, if they could just eat whatever they wanted at all times. Where would their nutrition be? You know how <laughs> yeah. how, how good would their <laughs> the bottom of a bowl of Lucky Charms? Yeah, yeah. But the fifth bowl. Yeah, I mean it, it would just be so bad for them. And yeah. so you have to put in, and like you said, there's freedom in boundaries. So yeah, uh, I love that that premise that it's being God. It, it really turns out if we would just had all of every boundary lifted, it really actually kind of leaves us pretty miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to kind of recap where we've been in this Lent series, just to sort of give us an idea of of where we've been. Um, and, and it starts with this idea of the check engine light that you're talking about, that guilt can actually kind of serve as our check engine light. Yeah, It's not something that we need to ignore. Um, it's something that we can lean into. And when we feel that, we know that it's time to, to move from God. So it's moved towards God. So when we feel guilty... We move towards repentance, and we kind of talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It starts with confessing, and then it moves on to renouncing our sin. Mm-hmm. And once we do that, then we move on to to God's forgiveness, and we embrace that. And that's actually something God has given us sort of the framework to deal yeah. with our guilt, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, that becomes, again, what I think that persistence of guilt that we've been talking about, if you don't have that, this sort of framework, which, again, is, as we've laid out, goes from feeling something's off, turning that into a moment for repentance. And then the, the, you know, what we've kind of been tracking throughout this series is that forgiveness is readily available. It's always there waiting. It's David, when he's confronted by the prophet, Nathan, he finally says, I've sinned against God. And he's like, you're forgiven like instantly. Mm. And, and it's not that, you know, it, it, it doesn't take away the consequence of actions. It doesn't take away maybe the propensity and that, that bent disordered love. But it begins to be the space where you can say, now, now I have something to work with, and I can name this, this bent desire and say, now, now I need to change. And, and God will then come in, come in you know, with us, walking alongside us towards that sort of life. And that's, that's built into that kind of confession renunciation is, is that first step towards 
opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit so we, so we can be changed. So we had a conversation about this um, before we started, unfortunately, before we started recording, but talking about um, sort of one of the reasons that people avoid this type of thing, avoid dealing with their guilt, is really because they feel like it's it's a shame-based kind of thing. They're yeah. worried that it's going to that it's going to bring upon shame, make them feel bad about themselves, that kind of thing. And that's really not what God is doing here. Yeah. Um, and we kind of had this conversation about the difference between humility and humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I was, there's a part of what God does with guilt and with this humility piece when we are humbled is we have to finally face ourselves and we don't want to face ourselves. That's a you know where we kind of where it can cross over, uh, or where we why we shy away maybe from shame, is because we don't want to really own the fact that we're the source of our problems. Mm. Um, we'd rather defer, and 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 so we fear that sort of shame to say, well, I don't want to feel bad about myself. I don't want to really understand that I'm the thing that's broken. Mm. Um, but until you get to that place, I don't, again, it's that same sort of thing. You cannot step into this process of repentance until you have something to repent of, which means that you're naming the problem as me. And I, I do have something flawed and broken that needs, um, healing needs work to be worked on. And, and so that's where that, that it's not that God is trying to point out shame, humiliate, but he's trying to humble us to the point where we will at least begin to look kind of clear-eyed at ourselves as the source of the problem. And and that is, again, that's a, that's a humbling. Um, but yeah, we, we, you know, to live in humiliation is not God's intent. Um, but it is, in fact, to humble us, um, to allow us to see the source of the problem within us and not always external. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's the season we're in, right? That's Easter. That's death to life, right? There's that, that just the ethic of Jesus saying, if you want to live, you got to lay your life down. And that's, that's humbling. And we watch that. We see that modeled in the very life of Jesus. You know, I'm thinking of Philippians 2, where it says that, you know, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but laid his life down for others, right? Like, and so it's this sense of that humbling is, in fact, the way to, to eternal life um, is <clears throat> through laying down your life, dying to yourself to be raised up to new life. Um, and that's, there's not much more humbling. You know, there's not much else that's more humbling than that. Yeah, I think I think it's profound to consider the idea that so many of us avoid humility in order to not have to because we're afraid to experience humiliation. And I think that yeah. I think that goes towards how we pursue God too. Like you talked so much about us bringing our whole our real self, you know this Psalm 139 yeah. says search me, O God, like opening yourself yeah. up. Uh, which is a very humbling experience. And depending on how you view God, your fear yeah. could really well be that he, you're going to be humiliated. Yeah. That now that you've finally made yourself vulnerable, and I mean, that stands for any relationship in our entire life. The reason we don't open ourselves yeah. up, we're like seeing enemies and we, yeah. we've been hurt. And so we, we close in and we don't want to open ourselves up. Um, but then you talked about being known by God and yeah. what was the Tozer quote you gave that sort of framed this whole thing? Yeah. So Tozer said, you know, famously said, maybe not so famously as you pointed <laughs> out, <laughs> but famously said, you know, the thing that comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
And, and what he's getting at, again, is that idea of if God is good, and if when you think of God, he is good, uh, that changes your, your, your readiness to be humbled before him. Mm. Um, if God is a tyrant, if he's, um, again, some sort of oppressive figure in your mind, if um, you have this image of God that's just waiting to punish and to crush and to, you know, whatever it is, well, then of course you're not going to be humbled and vulnerable with this God who you, um, you know, in a negative way fear. And, and so that, and, and I think as you were, you were alluding to, none of us want to experience humiliation, but we do want to be known. Mm. And there's, there's a, you know, we have this sort of, you know, there's this in, in the American ethos, there's this deep kind of commitment to individualism and privacy. And with God, we just don't have that. Mm. Um, you know, God's very nature, right. As, as a triune God, right. Three in one father, son, and Holy spirit, like God's essence himself is communal. Um, and so the idea of individualism when it comes to God is actually pretty foreign. Um, and so to be then in community, particularly in the model of the Trinity, is to be known. It's, it's that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are fully known and fully loved within themselves. They're this mm. community of self-giving, self-sacrificial love that are constantly trying to love one another. And that then becomes the model um, out of which we, we were created, right? Like we were created for that kind of community. And so when we fear humiliation to the point that it doesn't allow us to be known, no wonder that hurts because we were built to be known and we were built to be cared for and loved. Um, and so like the, the thing that we most, I, I talk to when I do premarital with couples or when I perform weddings, I talk often about, and I steal this from, uh, from Tim Keller, who says, you know, your deepest longing is to be truly known and fully loved. Um, and that then is our experience of, um, of God, is, is when we're kind of in that, that mode of being truly known and fully loved. And, and marriage, I think, is the best, you know, it's the best example of that, um, at least the closest example I think we get, where yeah. in healthy marriage, you're fully known and loved. I realized, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, that almost everything I have pursued in my life on some level really comes down to wanting to be known. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's my, it's, I've realized it as a core desire, something I think God placed in me, like you're saying, and also my biggest fear. And I wonder mm. how many people resonate with that, you know, like, because the fear, right. Is if you're totally known, I mean, just think about this for a second. Like we can, we can, we can be in like God land here and, and talk about like church speak, like, Oh God fully knows you. Yeah. But let's talk about this for a second. Cause sometimes God's this like far away person that we don't really, we don't, we don't think of him as like real sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. going to, it was real talk, but let's just say it's between me and you right now, Kevin. And like, just me and you and our tens of listeners. And I know everything about you. Yeah. I mean, that's like if, if suddenly if suddenly I just knew right now everything yeah. about you and you're a pretty good guy, like <laughs> you're a pastor. I know you. I know you have great you have great character. I know you have great marriage. But still, it'd still if be I terrifying. knew everything about you, Kevin, <laughs> it'd be terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it really would. It's our greatest fear. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've been married 15 years. I think you've been somewhere around there, too. And it's like. Like you start, like you said, with marriage, you start realizing that this is, yeah, this is the task of marriage. Yeah. Like how do oh, we, good. how do we open ourselves up 
more and more and more yeah. and more. And God gives us that, that, that thing in marriage and, and to, to illustrate what it's like with him and I. Yeah. I mean, it's just really, like you said, the ultimate expression yeah. of vulnerability. Yeah. And there's like, even when I think of the marriage relationship, like, you know, Lindsay and I, we've been married, I should know this off the top of my head, 13 years this August. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like the, the woman I married 13 years ago was one version and I knew levels of her and we grew in intimacy and got to know her more. Um, and she got to know me more. Um, but 13 years ago, I'm a different guy than I am now. Um, and I'm a different guy than I'll be in 10 more years. And so in, in the same kind of stretching that metaphor in the same way, like, like as you said, the work of marriage is to continually know the other and be known by the other. Like in some ways that's discipleship too. It's, it's God constantly highlighting, you know, illuminating the things in us, the shadow sides within us so that we are constantly fully known. And that will look different now than in 10 years from now. Um, when, when maybe I make progress in certain areas of my life that God and the Holy Spirit, I'm partnering with the work of the Spirit to bring growth and maturity and Christ-likeness to an area of my life. But 10 years from now, I'm different, and I've got different pitfalls and different you know, bent desires and all those things that, that we'll have to work on. And that, you know, I love that image that you said. Again, that's the work of marriage, is to continually be known and know the other. And with God, that's that infinite task for us as well, is constantly knowing ourselves, knowing God, and then allowing God to love us kind of in those spaces. Hmm. And I think about the barrier, like if we're looking at even our marriage or with our relationship with God to this sort of intimacy, um, to this sort of vulnerability, if I think about what the barrier might be, or, you know, one of the main barriers, you talked about this idea of privacy, Yeah. you know, like we, we value our privacy, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's near and dear to our hearts. And, and, um, you know, I don't know that, that it's privacy in and itself. It's not evil, yeah. but this thing of needing to have our own thing, like wh- what would you say about that? Like, do you think that, that our desire for privacy is an inhibitor to, to intimacy? Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it is when we put it in kind of that individual realm, like when, when we desire like the, when the, when the commitment is to individual privacy, meaning parts of you that you don't turn over, um, whether it's God or whether it's your spouse or your friend or whatever it is, that will hinder intimacy. And that's not always bad, uh, right? Because there are appropriate levels of intimacy with different people. Like, I probably shouldn't know everything about you. <laughs> you probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I'd run but for the I hills. forget what you asked me at the beginning. Yeah, like, but the, there's a level at which that intimacy is good, like, and healthy and needed. Um, but yeah, there are things that, you know, that you and I should know about one another that just Lindsay and I should know about each other. And that obviously the ultimate expression of this is, is God. And as we saw in Psalm 139, like God is inescapably big, inescapably near. And it's that sense that God, there is no privacy between you and God. And, and that actually, again, we, we may fear that, but that becomes the because our relationship with God becomes the kind of the, the groundwork, the foundation of our life. The fact that we don't have to hide anything from God because He knows it. Like when we begin to trust that mm. and trust that God is good, that becomes a beautiful place for us to live, where we don't have to have, you know, this kind of two sidedness to us, where we have one life here and one life there, but we recognize no, God has fully embraced every corner of my life because He knows it, right? And so then the privacy becomes 
a communal privacy. Mm. It's not me holding back and, and keeping a corner of who I am to myself. It's but something it's me. you have between you. Yes, exactly. And that sort of privacy between one another, in the same way that Lindsay and I have a privacy between us that develops and fosters intimacy, that when we allow someone into that privacy, we're actually betraying the relationship a little bit from the outside. Yeah. But, but again, it, with God, it looks so different, that there's a, a privacy between me and God, an intimacy there that, that only built on. He only knows the deepest parts of me, right? Um, but yet I can, I can rest in that, knowing that in being known, um, I'm also loved. And, and so it's a communal kind of privacy. I remember um, this makes me think of a, a camp that I led worship. For. Have you ever heard of Johnny and Friends? Johnny Erickson Tata? No. Uh, do you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like I've heard that name. She's an amazing um, speaker, writer. She had a, an accident, a diving accident when she was younger, maybe in her 20s, and is a paraplegic now. Oh, wow. But she still paints, and she's still she's yeah. a great singer. Anyway, so she started these camps um, that are designed to minister to kids uh, or to families that have um, kids with special needs. And so... Oh, interesting. Um if you have if you have a, a child with special needs, you bring your whole family to this camp. And I think it may be almost it may be free of charge. I'm not positive about that, but they take care of your family. You get a cabin, and um, they assign someone to help uh, your child the whole week to kind of take some of the burden off of you. Yeah. They provide worship experiences um, that That's are beautiful. inclusive yeah. to families with special yeah. needs because it's not easy for families like that to go to church. A lot of times yeah. they'll be asked to leave or whatever. So I was asked knowing nothing about this camp to, to lead worship. And, uh, I go there and, um, I, I was uncomfortable at first because I just didn't know, I didn't know how to deal with, um, how to interact with certain people and leading worship in an environment where they'd, they'd give kids instruments and just let kids come through with like drums. And <laughs> it was loud and it was yeah, chaotic. Yeah. And it was really hard for me. And then I remembered on like the fourth day, I went and I was going to get ready and <laughs> at a truck stop a long time ago, I had bought this Jesus is my BFF shirt, bright purple with rainbow letters. And for whatever reason, <laughs> I think maybe I, I brought it just for fun, just to see if there was going to be a fun night or whatever. And, uh, you know, I was, I was picking out my outfit for the day and I see this shirt. I look in the mirror and my hair is just like completely a disaster. And I realized I could, I can put this thing on and I can go outside with my hair looking like this with my Jesus, yeah. my BFF shirt. And I don't think anyone mm. would care. Yeah. And I walked outside. There was this one kid who had been shy all week, didn't want to talk to anybody. And he was sleeping on the sidewalk in the sun. And I could tell he had found his place of acceptance and love. Mm. And I walked. I didn't want to leave that so place. Because I didn't yeah. want to go back to the real world where we were constantly being evaluated, constantly being judged. But it gave me a picture of what the kingdom of God is mm. really like. Yeah. And I think to really be known is that image. Not, the, not that you're never going to have critics or you're never going to have people being, yeah. being judged. But to stand in front of God, and like you said, just because we don't acknowledge it doesn't make it any less true. God yeah. knows every single little thing. Yeah. He yeah. knit you together, like you said. And it just occurred to me, I think that there are people that have not ever given themselves the opportunity to be fully known. Yeah, yeah. And even though God does fully know them, there's a, there's a leaning into that yeah. that maybe has never 
taking yeah. place. What would kind you of say like, to that? Sort of like, yeah, there's that need to, um, I don't want to even just say vocalize it, but but recognize that you're known, right? Because again, we're so um, addicted to privacy and like that idea that I can withhold certain areas of of my life from God. Um, to never give that voice or to just never recognize that, God, you know that aspect of me. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that becomes, uh, it, it feels dark in some way because it's like you can't ever fully release control of your life, mm-hmm. right? And that sort of idea of wanting to control your image or whatnot, um, that's, that becomes, you know, almost, almost enslaving, um, that you have to constantly keep up with that. And I think that's what you saw at that camp, right? A beautiful expression of that where there was no inhibition. It was just kind of, we could just be who we are um, and there. And I think what's so profound, particularly in, in light of Psalm 139, is 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 to be fully known doesn't mean, you know, like, because we can be fully known for all like the mess that we are. And, <clears throat> and if, you know, if the parts of us that are known are these broken kind of, bad parts where where the the loves are bent in the wrong direction that needs to be dealt with right like we do in fact need um change to take place and and that's where i think so beautifully david ends which really he begins and he ends with this idea of search me oh god mm. search my anxious my anxious thoughts and then also reveal within me any of any offensive way and his his cry to god is lead me in the way everlasting like it's Bring about the change that you desire, because I want this guilt, this shame, this um, this brokenness within me, where I, I am causing harm to myself and to others. I want that to change, and that's ultimately where he lands. Is I want to be known, I want to be loved, but I also want to change, mm. um, and I want to be different. I want to mature and grow in Christ likeness. Um, so he ends with that again, depending on how you view God, a pretty haunting line of "Search me, God, every corner of me." And you know me, and now reveal that to me. And it's almost asking for the humbling to take place where we finally have to look ourselves in the eyes. It's a, it's a hard, I mean, if you really think about it, it is a hard question to ask. Last week, yeah. I, uh, I texted our communications pastor, Sandy. We have to do a lot of stuff together, and you know, she's, she's instrumental in almost everything that happens yeah. at this church. Yeah. And, um, and I listened to a podcast, you know, some leadership podcast that that was talking about bad habits. And, you know, he was saying, like, what is one thing, one bad habit that you could change that would that would have a dramatic effect in, in your life? And so I was just thinking, you know, if anyone has to work with me and is really frustrated uh, with me and knows what my bad habits was, Sandy would know. And so I texted her and I just said, hey. Just think about this question. It was totally out of the blue, out of nowhere. Like, hey, I want you to just tell me what you see. Do you see if there was like one thing that I could stop doing that would make your life better? What would that one thing be? She hasn't responded yet. She just gave me a laughy face and said, I'll think about that. So I'm, I'm a little terrified. It's, yeah. a, it's a terrifying question to yeah. ask. Oh, what, what, Sandy, you're here. We actually have that live. Let's just read that. <laughs> But, you know, to put yourself on the line there, yeah. it sort of tests, like, do you really want to grow? Yeah. Is this something you really want? Do you really want to be close and intimate and yeah. with God or yeah. with whoever you're, you know, who you're asking yeah. with? And it is a difficult question uh, to ask, but I think it is the question. Yeah. Which I think is why things like parenting and marriage can be also so frightening. 
because that's a, it's a forcing event where you are going to. I mean, I don't know. I don't know of anything else um, when you when you live with someone. So I think this maps on to like a close friend or roommate yeah. as well. Like you're just kind of forced to all of a sudden realize your habits, right? And to realize who you are, and to realize. Um, like parenting is just a mirror onto you, right? Like yeah. Your kids are just soaking up everything they learn from you, good or bad, and then they just throw it right back at you. <laughs> I learned it from watching you, Dad. Yeah, exactly. And what's even more terrifying is they don't even know it, right? And you yeah. just see it mirrored in them, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's that's who I am, right? And that, uh, I think that question that you asked to Sandy is a really good, healthy one. And Notice and I also, haven't asked you. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's a certain trust with that question that someone's not going to rip you apart. So. Yeah, Sandy doesn't have a mic in front of her right now. Yeah, that's part of it. But but it is. It's like, man, how liberating though to say, "Search me, oh God," and expose my anxious thoughts. Know where where I'm fearful, right? Where where I have those concerns, and then also show me my offensive ways. Um, and then again, the the beautiful follow up and closing line of the psalm is, "Lead me in in the in the way everlasting. Lead me out of this mess." So to close it up, what do you say to someone who wants to be known, who wants to grow, but is scared to take that step and pray that prayer? Search me, oh God. What yeah. do you leave them with? Yeah, it's an invitation. You know what I mean? Like it's an invitation to know yourself. And, and I think I'd, I'd say to that person, until you want it, until you're ready to pray, search my heart, I don't know if it's going to do you any good to pray it. And so in some ways I I would just, I would challenge that person to say, do you want to change? Like I think of Jesus when he heals the man with the, um, that's not the shriveled hand. I think he's, he's walking by the pool and there's a man who is, was ill or had been sick from birth. I forget that. Maybe it was, he was a paralytic. I can't remember, but he, he asked the, the guy who had been there his whole life. He says, do you want to, to get well? Yeah. And in that, you know, we read that now we're like, of course, Jesus, of course. He, that's why he's here. That's why he's sitting by the pool trying to get healed. That's why, like, of course he wants to get healed. But it's a pretty profound question because I think this is the exact same thing we're talking about. And so I think I'd, I would, would funnel Jesus in, in with that person and say, do, do you want to be healed? Um, and, and then if, you know, you have to, then the, the question is yes or no. And if it's an honest yes, I don't know of another way than to finally say, search me, God, and to start this process of, repentance of confession, renunciation, and then forgiveness. And if you're not ready to be healed, that, that, that framework isn't going to do much good. Um, but I would just kind of lovingly say, I think, I think you do long for that. You mm-hmm. long for that to be healed. And even though the process of facing your darkness might be painful, the, on the other side of it, it's, it's a beauty that it's a beauty yeah. and a peace that we were always meant to live in, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the other side of Good Friday is always resurrection. Mm. And that's coming. It's and coming. And listening to this on Good Friday, I think. So That's fair. Yes, they will. We'll see you on Easter, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for uh, checking in. And as always, let us know if this is helpful for you um, or if you want to know any other, other secrets about Kevin. <laughs> uh, we'd be glad to oblige. Thanks for listening, and we'll uh, talk to you next week.